So we started um, pastoring a, a church in Columbus in 2008, and uh, we just really went after healing like crazy. And so I don't know what you're picturing for like an all-out ballistic assault on healing, but we were doing that. We were just going for it as much as we could, and we just saw wonderful things happen. We've seen um, people get out of wheelchairs. We've seen blind eyes open. We've seen HIV healed. Uh, we've seen metal dissolve out of bodies. Uh, we've had 16 people raised from the dead. Can you guys believe that? Yeah. None of them died in church, though, thank goodness. It's not like... It's not like an Ananias and Sapphira ministry resurrected or anything like that. We had a person, um, this happened at a Target. The person was extremely short for her age. She had cerebral palsy. Her limbs were very twisted. And two of our people asked if they could pray for her. And so um, they asked the parents. And so the parents said, yeah. So they prayed for her. And uh, they held her legs. And uh, one leg grew. And then the other leg grew. And then the other leg grew. And she got seven to eight inches taller and got out of the wheelchair with no more cerebral palsy. Isn't that amazing? We've had uh, two cases of mental retardation healed. We've had um, autism healing, uh, four hepatitis Cs uh, in a year, um, schizoaffective disorder. So just wonderful, yay, God things. And so I think the church, we're, as a church, you know, big church, we're starting to get the revelation that Jesus not only died for your sins, but he also died for your sickness. Yeah. But I got some good news for you. He also died for your abundant provision. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. I'm not talking every Christian is going to be a zillionaire, but God wants you to have the provision for your vision. Yeah. So I don't know if you realize this, but Moses, or Moses, Pharaoh actually let the people go three different times. The first time he let them go, he said, you can go, but you can't go too far. Uh, he didn't want them to have freedom of worship. They wanted to go worship a certain way. He only wanted them to go so far. The second time he said, you can go, but you can't take your kids. Third time, he said you can go, but the last time he said you can uh, go, but you can't take your reproducing wealth. You can't take your cattle, okay? I believe the church has gotten a uh, breakthrough on the first part. You know, we've, uh, we've got freedom of worship. I would imagine if I came here uh, an hour ago, I would have seen some freedom in worship, all right? <laughs> and so, yay, God. I believe that the church is getting breakthrough on that second part, too, where we're actually raising kids who love God. I'm not sure if you realize this, but the statistics show that kids who are raised in church, about 92% of them fall away from the Lord between like ages 18 and 20-something. Those 8% who stay, here was the one common denominator, as they saw God answer prayers. So you never need to be ashamed of going after spiritual experiences. We don't go after experiences just for experiences, but we, I, people criticize us all the time. They're like, are you saying you're teaching your people to go after subjective experiences? Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Taste and see. It's not some theory. You know, your kids aren't going to stay serving God based on some theory that they heard about, some stories. They need to see God. They need to see him invade. So just, I, I love places like this. Don't be ashamed of going after the real thing. Okay? And then don't, but anyway, so I believe we're getting breakthrough on that. But it's that final one where he said, you can go, but you can't take your cattle. You can't take your reproducing wealth. I feel like the church, that's what we're getting ready to step into, to have the provision for our vision. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. So in the middle of us going after healing and going after all this stuff, I felt like the Lord said uh, that he wanted me to go after finances the way that we went after uh, healing. I'm like, really, God, health and wealth with the name Jim Baker? Like, could it get any more offensive than this? <laughs> oh, yeah, like, I'll go speak at a church. They'll see my name in the bulletin. They'll see, like, some title about money. They're like, you just get angry. They're like, are you serious? You know, I'm... I'm running Facebook ads right now for, like, Wealth with God, and, and some of you got hit by them already. Yeah, I mean, we have to pay people full-time to monitor the ads because the, the comments from the Christians are so nasty. It's embarrassing. We hired some virtual assistants. Um, I, my son just picked a company that was highly rated there in Pakistan. So we've got Muslims monitoring the Christians being nasty to another Christian. I'm like, this is embarrassing. It's totally embarrassing. People just get angry at it. 
And so um, before we get started here, let me give you my definition of, uh, of financial prosperity, because I feel like the Lord told us to go after these things, and we have. And uh, it's interesting, just teaching on heart issues. Uh, we, I, actually, we, uh, I never taught on um, investing or stewarding money or anything like that, but just, I, I, I mean, I have since then to our church, and we'll get to some of that tonight, hopefully. But just teaching on heart issues, we had 25% of our church get completely out of debt, most of them including their houses. Can you believe that? Within a 12-month period. Just, what's the Bible say? It says, prosper as your soul prospers. How much, God thinks, how much do you think God wants your soul to prosper? Like a little bit of joy? He's like, no, joy unspeakable. A little bit of peace? Is that all he wants your soul to have? He's like, no, peace that passes understanding. A little bit of love? He's like, no, the height, the depth, the width, right? Again, I'm not trying to say God wants every Christian to be a zillionaire, but I want, he wants you to have finances in proportion to your assignment. He wants you to prosper as your soul prospers. Because here's what happens is when your external circumstances grow larger than your internal circumstances, what happens is we'll shrink our external circumstances to meet our internal circumstances. If you look at a lottery winners, what happened? Their net worth got bigger than their insides, and so they'll shrink their outside down to the size of their insides, right? Am I saying it right, or did I drive too fast here? I don't know. The Lord, yeah, Lord, forgive me for what I did on the way over here. Okay. I'll just put it that way. My pastor's like, the angels go the speed limit, so you're on your own after that. I'm like, oh, Lord, help us. So let me give you my definition of financial prosperity. Okay, but let me start with this, actually. You can be broke and not be poor. Broke is a temporary financial condition. Poverty is a lens that only sees meager possibilities. And when you only see meager possibilities, you're going to severely limit heaven's ability to come into your finances. Prosperity starts with who you have, not what you have. Okay, when you have Jesus, you have access to everything. All right, that's true riches. All right, let's just get that clear. But let me give you my definition of financial prosperity. You have no financial debt, and you have more than enough finances to fulfill every divine assignment God has for you. I'll repeat this. And enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. Okay? You have, uh, you have no financial debt. I believe financial leverage is something different than consumer debt. I actually, I don't believe it's unbiblical to have financial leverage where you take out a, you know, an 80% loan from the bank to buy an apartment building that produces more income than it costs you. Uh, it's financial leverage. You actually see in the scriptures, the parable of the talent and the minas, the, the, the workers were rewarded using their master's money. It wasn't even their own money. What's that? That's financial leverage. Uh, the parable, or not the parable, the story of Elisha with the widow. What did Elisha tell the widow? He's like, go beg, borrow, steal as many Tupperware containers as you can get. And what happened? She took the borrowed assets, and the Holy Spirit added his super to that natural, and she had a supernatural supply. So I'm not against it, but the rule with borrowing money is you have to, the returns must exceed the costs. And it's like a loaded gun. Sometimes a loaded gun's a very good thing. If you don't know what you're doing, you can get hurt. So you got to understand some of those things. So I'm just trying to, okay, I got like 50 hours of teaching, no lie, on this stuff. So I'm trying to... I'm not trying to give it all to you, but I'm sorry. So just raise your hand like, Jim, slow down a little. So I'm not speaking in tongues up here, but I get excited. So you have no, you have no let's, just, let's just stick with this. You have more than enough resources to fulfill every divine assignment, enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. Okay? Say it again? Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, you have, uh, you have more than enough resources I originally said money, but I think resources is better because God can get things done without money. You have more than enough resources to fulfill every divine assignment God has for you. And enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. 
Again, prosperity doesn't mean every Christian is going to be a zillionaire. It does mean that we want to have finances in proportion to our assignment and, uh, and more than enough left over to be a blessing to other people. So if you're a farmer in Uganda, your financial circumstances are going to look different than someone who's called to reach the Hollywood elite. Which one is better? Neither one's better. We're going to get rewarded based on what you did with what God gave you in your assignment, not compared to somebody else. That's the good news of this whole thing. So abundance, if you're Joseph in prison, doesn't mean you're going to have the finest palace on a hill. doesn't mean you're going to drive, be driving the finest chariots. Although if you had the finest palace on a hill and the finest chariot, God bless you. You know what? It's not your job to, just to be the uh, prosperity inspector to see who's got too much money. You know how much money is too much money? Whatever amount replaces trust in God. Yeah. For some people, they get 100 bucks in their pocket. They forget there's a God in heaven. Other people, 100 million doesn't even begin to move them because their heart's so anchored in the invisible realm. So here's the idea. We stay in our lane, and we trust that God's going to give us the resources to to accomplish our vision, the vision that he's given us. Think of yourself like a hose, right? Water flows through a hose out out to others. And so if God can get money through you, he'll get money to you, and there'll be plenty left over for you because inside of a hose gets wet. All right? There you go. Here's the idea. When the priority of your finances is on God and other people, God will take better care of you on accident than you can take care of yourself on purpose. I'm talking about a heart shift here, and I got some good news for you. His name is El Shaddai, not El Cheapo. God doesn't mind meeting your needs in style. He just doesn't want you giving your heart over to style or getting your self-worth from your net worth. Okay? The size of your bank account or your house is not a sign of God's love for you or how valuable you are. All right. So I grew up in the Assemblies of God in a great organization, great, uh, great missions. I grew up in a church back in the 80s. They give a million dollars a year to missions. Unbelievable. My wife grew up in a church. They give a million dollars a year to missions. I just, I just love that. We would often hear stories like this. Maybe you've heard something like this. The, the missionary family, they're out in the field, and they're completely broke. They've got no food. And they know that there's no food in the house, but they would set the table by faith. They would get the plates, the forks, the knives, and they would hold hands and pray, knowing that they had no food. And all of a sudden, there'd be a knock at the door. They'd open up the door. There'd be a family standing there with groceries. Their need was provided. Yay, God. How many of you guys have heard a story like that? I said, we need to hear those stories. But you know what we need just as much? Is we need an army full of people who have resources and have the ability to hear from God where to direct those resources. That's what we're talking about here. And so... There's, I know that there's been bad teaching on finances in the church at large. There's also been bad teaching on heaven, and I still plan on going there. Yeah. All right? So fear of error is not a reason to ignore the truth. Yeah. If you ignore the truth, you're in error. Yeah. Okay, so don't, don't swing all, this, all, all, all the other way here. So listen, guys, what are, the, what are the two doctors that have been fought against the most in the past 30 years in the church? Healing and finances, that health and wealth gospel. Well, here's, the, here's the thing, guys. If the enemy can keep you sick and poor, he's going to severely limit your destiny. <laughs> All right? And so uh, healing and prosperity is that health and wealth gospel. I got some good news. Jesus didn't uh, die and rise from the dead for the sickness and poverty gospel. Yeah. All right, I'm going to keep going here. So I believe that there's, there's two errors that really happen with the health and wealth gospel movement. And, uh, and the errors usually show up in one of two ways. The, the first is this idea that poverty is a spiritual value. Like, it's, it's good to be poor. Uh, <laughs> listen, if poverty is so spiritual, why does the Bible tell us to give to the poor? Wouldn't that just ruin their spirituality? Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, one of the poorest ways to help the poor is to be poor. Yeah. 
Listen, nobody needs to feel bad about their current financial circumstances. What we need to do is we need to lift our eyes to see what Jesus paid for on the cross. Because if you can't, God responds to faith. He doesn't respond to need. Yeah. If you responded to need, then places like India would be the most, uh, most abundant places. He responds to faith. So we've got we to see what, see what he has purchased for us. Here's the thing. God's called each one of us to be stewards of, of our money. You know what that means? You have to have something to steward. There's this religious thing that says, as soon as I get something nice, i got to give it away. As soon as I get something nice, i got to give it away. Many people would rather give their things away than learn how to steward them. Everything in the kingdom that gets stewarded multiplies and increases. That's how you know if you're stewarding it. How are we doing? If poverty is from God, why does it, uh, Genesis 26, verses 12 and 13, why does it say that um, the Lord blessed Isaac so that he became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy? No, so it wasn't Satan who did that. It was God who did that. If poverty is so spiritual, why are we told to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? I'm not sure if you realize this. There's no 30,000-year mortgages on the mansions up there. There's no recessions up in heaven, right? God has abundance. The enemy has a budget. I'm not against budgets, but, but they stink. I mean, people are like, oh, budgets are freedom. I'm like, no, they're not. They're handcuffs. Let's be honest. Anyway, so... But, all right. If, uh, if money, I'm not, you can have a budget. I'm just teasing you. If my, I got a better way in my course, though. It's called the unbudget budget. Never have to budget again. Anyway, um, if money's so bad for us, why doesn't Satan just pour it on Christians and watch them backslide into hell? If money's so bad, why did Satan take it away from Job? Why at the end of the book of Job did God reward Job with a double portion? Why is the good man the one who leaves an inheritance to his children's children? Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. Oh, man, every religious person loves the person who seeks first the kingdom of God. But then the next part of the verse happens, and all these things will be at. I don't know about this person. I'm getting kind of worried. And you're going to get uh, verses quoted at you about the dangers of wealth. Ask me how I know. <laughs> I told the virtual assistants, anytime in the comments that they, on the Facebook ads that they put a scripture, just go ahead and hide it, and, then, uh, you know, and I'll come through and see if we need to ban them. But no one's ever quoting scripture at you because they love you on, on Facebook. Let's just put it that way. They're, they're trying to disprove you. But. Anyway, sorry, I feel bad after saying that. The second error, so the first error is that poverty is spiritual, right? That's the error. The second error is a reaction to it, but it's equally as perverted. And it says that your spirituality is measured by the size of your house or how much money you make, right? Listen, material possessions are not a sign of God's blessing unless they are. There's actually places in the Bible where he, uh, the blessing, the physical blessings that came upon a person were directly because of the hand of God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Samson, or Samson, Solomon. God was a direct cause of their blessing. That means it's not your job to judge who has too much. You can't judge another man's harvest when you don't know what kind of seed they planted. Have you ever noticed that no one ever thinks that they have too much? It's always somebody else. Like, we always think, like, oh, well, we have, yeah, this is, this is just about right. Maybe a little more, but just about right. It's always those other people who have too much. And so it's, I, I got some good news for you. Um, you, can, you can quit that job of, of inspecting other people. I'm just going to take that pressure right off you, and you will stand before God for how you use your resources, not how somebody else did. So just be free from judging other people how much they have or don't have. Doesn't that feel good?
I remember I was, at the, I was at someone's house, and they had this huge house with, like, all these horses and all this land, and they began gossiping about someone else who had too much. I'm like, your house is, like, five times bigger than mine, and all that. I'm like, anyway, it's never, the, anyway. So how much is too much money? Whatever amount replaces trust in God. Here's the deal with money. I hope it's not coming to us like a fire hose. And just, you know, maybe write down something if it hits you, but just, just let this just wash over you as good news. You know, just let these, these weeds of religion that, you know, and I'm not saying you got them from this church. We just get them from the church. You know, it's just, it's just in the atmosphere. And uh, just let it wash over you. But here's the deal with money. Money is to the natural realm what the anointing is to the supernatural realm. It's simply a way to get things done. Guys, we've got to get this kingdom view of money. Money's just a tool. Yeah. You know, if I went over to uh, Papa Steve's house, you know what he's not going to do? He's not going to take me into his garage and show me his shovel collection. He's not going to be like, oh, Jim. Uh, the, I don't. I'll show you my wife. All right, you show your wife's collection. But no one's bragging about their shovel collection to their friends. They're not like, you know, the Lord's been so good to us. You know, this one's got a platinum handle. You know, I remember my daughter got this one. She bedazzled the handle. I remember the bedazzler. And so, um, like, no one's bragging about it. Why? Because a shovel is a tool to accomplish work. Yeah. You have to understand this. In the kingdom, dollars become soldiers that accomplish kingdom purposes. Yeah. Okay? There's, there's lots of different purposes. But um, uh, part, part of the purpose of money is to provide for your needs. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Part of it is to enjoy the goodness of God with God. Did you guys know there was actually three tithes in the Old Testament? Yeah. First one was the Levitical tithe that went to the priesthood. The second one was taken every three years and went to the poor. The third tithe was the festival tithe. You know what they did with it? They went and partied on it. They took it, and God said, I want you to eat the best meat. I want you to drink the best drink, and I want you to go and enjoy the goodness of God with God. And so it basically they would make it, you know, they take that money and make a pilgrimage to go to the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of whatever. But the purpose of it was to enjoy the goodness of God with God. Part of your stewardship, it's actually okay for you to go on vacation and not feel guilty. I'm going to keep going here. But part of it is for, is for you to expand the kingdom of God. It's for you to turn those dollars into soldiers to accomplish kingdom purposes. It's not just all about us. We'll get to that here in just a second. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. So let's put it in context, right? Because a text without a context is just a con, right? All right, we got two there. I'll take those two amens. Thank you. So um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9 are two entire chapters talking about giving, okay? Talking about finances. So the context is finances and giving. You ready for this? 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make a little bit of grace squirt out to you if you're good enough. No, that's not what it says. Here's what it says. And God is able to make all grace. You know what grace means? It means it was paid for on the cross. All grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you would abound in every good work. Think the Holy Spirit was in a good mood when you wrote that one? Yeah. Here's what that verse means. God wants your finances to grow to the point that any time there's a need that comes across your path and your heart is moved to meet it, you have a stream of income to meet that need. Some people are like, Jim, I don't believe it. Well, let's deal with that unbelief before you get very far. I'm leaving it a little bit. I'm just going to say it straight here, but I'm, but I'm saying it in love, okay? Listen, guys, if this verse isn't true, John 3.16 is not true. All right? True prosperity is having more than enough so you can abound in every good work. That's good news. I think one of the biggest problems that people have with prosperity, and if you hate the word prosperity, then just uh, substitute abundant provision. 
All right? I mean, it's like, you know, is, is God, you know, did God reveal himself as the God of not enough, the God of just enough, or the God of more than enough? I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like right in his name, El Shaddai, the God of infinite supply. I mean, it's right in his name. Anyway, so um, I think that one of the biggest problems that people have is they think that prosperity is selfish. You know, all these ridiculous teachings on, you know, sow a Toyota and reap a Ferrari, all this ridiculous stuff, and people blowing shofars over their checkbooks. It's like, this is embarrassing here. But here's the deal. Prosperity is not selfish because it's not all about you. Yeah. All right? Real prosperity is defined by how much we give away, not how much we keep for ourselves. Prosperity is about blessing and not possessing. Listen, guys, it's hard to fill someone else's cup if your pitcher's empty. Yeah. All right, so let's just flip this thing on its head. I'm going to tell you the truth because I feel like we're friends by now. Are we friends? Yeah. All right, here's the truth. It's actually selfish for you to not desire prosperity. Yeah. Guys, what if prosperity isn't optional? What if being blessed is actually required? Listen to Psalm 67, 1 and 2, because when God only provides for your needs, the world lacks a revelation of, the, of an abundant father. They're never going to know what dad's really like. So listen to Psalm 67, 1 and 2. He prays, David gives us this prayer to straighten this whole thing out. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That sounds like revival. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Listen, guys, people lack an awareness of the goodness of God. And so the way that one of the ways they're going to see it is God's hand upon his people. And it's like, listen, you have peace when everyone else is freaking out. You guys have more than enough when there's a drought, when there's, you know, we don't have droughts. Typically now we, have, we call them economic downturns. But, you know, when, when everything is going bad. It's like you, your kids actually want to spend time with you when they're old enough to not have to. It's like they see that blessing on our lives. And it's like we become the aroma of Christ to them. So our attitude needs to be this. This is a legal prayer. God, put your hand a blessing on me so people will see what you're like. Yeah. Notice it's not all about me, but, it's a, but you know what? It's going to affect me. I don't know about you. When, my, when something good happens to my kids, I'm not offended by it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm encouraged by it. <laughs> it says, uh, it's, it's, saying, it's, it's this prayer saying, God, they're not going to know what you're like unless you bless me. I don't know, Jim, this sounds like a bless me club. Well, Jesus didn't die for a curse me club. Yeah. And what exactly is the problem with a bless me club? People you know, accuse me of this all the time. You're putting a bless me club. I'm like, what's the big deal if it was? Because Christians, when we get blessed, we become a bigger blessing. Yeah. Well, Jim, I just want enough to provide for me and my family. Oh, wow. You selfish pig. Let me translate that for you. My needs are met. Who gives a rip about the rest of the world? Do you see how religion makes it sound so spiritual and so humble to just want just enough? People are like, Jim, are you wanting to be a millionaire? I'm like, no, multi-millionaire. Do you know how many many needs there are in our city? I'm going to brag on the Lord here for a bit, just for a second here. But my wife and I, we live paycheck to paycheck most of our married life. And we we didn't understand these things. And I'm not not trying to put anybody down. Uh, But, you know, just the the salary at the church, it was was just enough. And uh, the Lord began to show us these things some years ago, and and we've been walking in them. But last week, we got to write in one check what we used to make in one year. Guys, I remember we held the check before the Lord, and we wept at his goodness. I mean, it was... It was wonderful. Uh, two days later, so we just wrote a check that used to be what we made in a year. Two days later, a friend texts me and says, bro, I'm, going to, um, I'm in Pakistan. We're going to meet with the Taliban, and we're going to buy back some people out of human trafficking. 
and uh, he's like, it's super dangerous. And so I'm like, yeah, I'll be praying. And, he, and uh, so he shows me, the, uh, he gets back, shows me the picture. It was six, it was five children, I mean, about this tall. I said they were born into slavery. That's all they've ever known. And one woman, she looked like she was maybe in her 60s, and he says she's been in slavery for 23 years. And uh, they were cleaned up. They were eating their first meal uh, of freedom, and uh, they just looked, they looked so happy. And he's like, but now we need some resources. You know what was awesome is um, we got to write them another big check right out of that. Guys, it, it was fun, yeah. you know? I mean, I, we didn't, I didn't go and, you know, buy a, a third hot tub. I don't even have a first hot tub. I mean, I, I'm like, that's, that, stuff, that stuff, you know, I, I enjoy things, but I'm, I'm not moved by them. Yeah. Margaret Thatcher, the former prime minister of England, she said this, no one would have remembered the good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money as well. Here's a revelation for you. You cannot be a big giver if you don't have a big abundance. Again, nobody needs to feel bad. I just want to, I want to just break some stuff off us so we can see, man, you know what? What if God's better than we think and we need to change the way we think? Yes. Well, Jim, money can't buy happiness. Well, neither can poverty. <laughs> poverty can't buy anything. <laughs> Let me tell you the truth. People who say money can't buy happiness, they just simply haven't given enough of it away. Yeah. I watched it buy happiness over and over again. I remember uh, at home, I have this little office, and there was a knock at the door, and I'm right in the middle of doing stuff. I wasn't really in the mood for a salesman, and I opened it up, and there's this you know, young teenager trying to sell cable TV, which, God bless him. And so I wasn't really in the mood for it, so I'm getting ready to shut the door in his face in the name of Jesus, you know. And, uh, you know, they're trained, you know, good salespeople, they're trained to, like, overcome your objections, right? So he slips one of these, you know, objection overcomers in me. I was like, oh, that's actually pretty good, you know. So I let him in, and I ended up buying cable from the guy. So he's sitting at the table, and he's calling his manager, setting the whole thing up. And I'm realizing, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got, you know, an unbeliever sitting here in my kitchen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to witness to the guy. So I just started uh, just asking him some questions and, I started sharing some healing testimonies with him, and he's like, listen, man, you can just stop that. He's like, I don't believe in God. And I said, you know what? That's okay. He believes in you. I said, uh, do you have any pain in your body? And he's like, well, yeah. He's like, I was a Muay Thai kickboxer. And he said, my jaws come unhinged. I was like, oh, man. And then he said he had carpal tunnels. I think it was maybe just in one arm. I'm like, well, hey, take off your brace, and let's just check it out. So we prayed for him, and I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't remember if he got completely healed, but there was enough breakthrough that he knew something real was happening. He begins crying. And... Um, so then he just starts opening up his life to me. He's like, listen, I'm, I'm living with this girl, and her sister just overdosed on drugs. She uh, sold her body for heroin. She's got two little kids. She just died. Now we're going to be raising these kids, and we don't have enough money for the funeral. I feel like the Lord says, um, I said, well, hey, how much, do you, uh, how much do you owe for the funeral? And he told me, I feel like the Lord said, write the check. So I went and wrote the check. And so now he's really crying, and he says, hey, why are you doing this? And I said, I'm just showing you how the, how the Father feels about you. He's like, Okay, so we exchanged phone numbers. So he leaves, and I told my wife, I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to go to the funeral. I don't know if this is weird. And so I'm like, hey, bro, you think, what do you think about me coming to the funeral just to support you? And he's like, uh, he's like, sure. And so I show up, and uh, I'm the only one there in a suit. You know, as pastors, we typically have one suit and two ties. We got the funeral tie and the wedding tie. So I had on, the, <laughs> so I had on my one suit with my, uh, my funeral tie on, and I show up. And it's kind of a rough crowd in there, man. It was like the former baby mamas and the former baby daddies. They're like with other people now, and they're like yelling back and forth, and it feels like there's about to be a fist fight. And so in those situations, I typically think, where can I hide? And so, um, <laughs> yeah, my best, my best moves in a, in a fight are typically headbutts to the fist, so I'm not going to really be doing much. 
So I'm in there, and I'm kind of like, kind of slinking down. I'm kind of a little bit intimidated, and this big dude comes up to me. He's got tattoos on his face. He's like, hey, are you the guy that gave money to the funeral? I was like, yes, sir. I'm like, the Lord receive my spirit. I'm like, this is it, you know. <laughs> and, um, and his eyes moisten up with tears, and he's like, wow, I've never heard anything like that before. I was like, oh, God, I'm not going to die, you know. And uh, so remember the two little kids that this guy was now going to raise? This is no lie. Uh, they come running up to me when they found out who I was, and they sat in my lap and called me Uncle Jim. The guy who sold cable TV, uh, I'm not going to say his real name, but um, he says, uh, hey, everybody, that's my pastor. I'm like, your pastor, you didn't believe in God two days ago. What are you talking about? <laughs> what happened? Proverbs uh, 23, uh, might be 20, verse 25 in the Passion Translation, it says that through your generosity, it will awaken the conscience of an unbeliever. You guys realize we, I, we can actually do that. There's people who say money can't buy happiness. I'll tell you what, if you, cannot go, if you cannot afford to go to the store, you cannot afford to go into all the world. Yeah. I mean, let's just be practical. It takes money to, to buy Bibles. I'm not sure if you, I mean, people, they, yeah, I mean, I get accused of the craziest thing. You're selling the word of God. I'm like, do you buy a Bible? Like, you know, like, it's like, like things cost money. Like they don't, yeah. it just happens because you want them to, you know? Well, Jim, that's great, but Jesus was poor and we're supposed to be like Jesus. You guys ever heard this one before? All right, let's talk about this. So um, remember, uh, the Magi actually brought expensive gifts to Jesus. Do you remember this craziness? Remember the Magi? Well, the Magi were the kingmakers of the day. So they were trained in the courts of Persia by a man named Daniel. They were trained to look for a sign in the heaven. They were basically the new agers of the day. But they were the ones who recognized royalty, and so they were trained to look for a star in the heaven, a sign in the heavens that pointed to a greater king. Interesting, the, prince, the king of Persia was known as the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. Does that sound familiar? So here's these magi trained uh, you know, a millennia earlier by, uh, by Daniel, the prophet Daniel from the Bible, and uh, they see this sign. They travel uh, 1,500 miles. And so uh, you know, they get there, and it's interesting the, uh, here, here's what it says, Herod the king says in Matthew 2.3. When Herod the king heard that the Magi from the east had come to Jerusalem, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with them. Why? Because the kingmakers had come in. Guys, religion would have you picture it was three guys, and they're emaciated, and they got these tattered bathrobes on, these giant paper hats and a mustard-stained Beavis and Butthead t-shirt. <laughs> and, they, and they approached the Lord, and the one says... Here's a little gold nugget ripped in tinfoil. He gives it to him, and the other one nervously searches through his robe, and he says, uh, here, here's an economy-sized spritzer from Walmart. Use sparingly, master. That's actually not what it says. Here's what it says in Matthew 2.11. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Why? Because they found a greater king. Then they opened their treasure chests, plural, and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Isn't that interesting? Matthew 2.11, uh, here's a footnote in the Passion Translation. says, these wise men were extremely wealthy. They presented gifts that totaled a great sum of money, not tiny presents wrapped with bows, but treasure chests full of financial wealth. They had so much money that Joseph and Mary were able to flee from Egypt and not have to work for a few years. Yeah. Jesus became such a successful businessman, he became known as the carpenter of Nazareth. People are like, Jesus was homeless. I'm like, really? The number one carpenter in Nazareth was like sleeping on the street with his tools? Is that what we're supposed to believe there? Jesus had so much money that he had a treasurer. Here's a revelation, guys. Um, if you have a treasurer, you have some treasures. I don't have a treasure. I don't know about you guys. You got someone that just their full-time job is to look after your money. 
Jesus had so much money in the treasury that Judas was stealing from it, and nobody knew except Jesus, but that was through supernatural word of knowledge. Some of us, it's like, you know, 10 bucks goes missing, and it's an all-out search party, right? <laughs> Jesus had so much money uh, that he was able to be an outrageous giver by lifestyle. Do you remember in the Last Supper, he goes and he whispers something in Judas's ear. Judas gets up and leaves. What do the disciples say? Oh, there goes away Judas to give away more money to the poor in the middle of the night. It was such a common occurrence to give away money that they thought that's what he must be doing. Jesus was so prosperous that he supported 12 teenage boys for three years of ministry. Do you know how much they eat? It's perhaps the greatest financial miracle in the Bible. I've got three boys. I know how much they eat. At the end of Jesus' life, uh, soldiers actually gambled over his clothes. Why? Probably because they were nice. And they weren't some like ripped up sweatpants and a tattered tank top, right? So um, I'm not saying Jesus was some hot shot, flashy evangelist walking around with a bunch of bling. What I'm saying is he had more than enough resources to fulfill every divine assignment God had for him, and enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. Jesus was prosperous. How are we doing? All right, here's the key to the whole thing, Matthew 6, 24. This is Jesus' words uh, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Uh, some of your Bible translations might say money, but you'll see a little footnote there, and you look, and it'll say it's the Aramaic word mammon. So what is mammon? Mammon was the demon god of Syria whose name meant the power of riches. So Jesus is setting up something interesting. He's saying, listen, you've got, you can put your trust in the one true God, or you can put your trust in the spiritual influence behind money. Mammon tries to get you to look to money the way that we're supposed to look to the one true God. Okay, so when you begin to feel a little bit more secure, when you've got more money in your checking account, that's the spirit of mammon because your security is supposed to come from God himself. Do I need to say that one again? Mammon tries to get you to look to money the way you're supposed to look to the one true God. And so when you have more money in your bank account and you feel more significant and more secure, that's the spirit of mammon because our significance and our security is supposed to come from God, not how many zeros are in our checking account. Yeah. Only we're going to break off the spirit of mammon here in a little bit. I believe it's the number one reason why Christians aren't prospering because in their heart it's divided. Are we okay? Yeah. I'm going to read you some popular Bible verses, and I'm going to read you what it sounds like when the spirit of mammon gets hold of them. You guys ready? Where does my help come from? My help comes from money. Money is my shepherd. I shall not be in want when I've got enough of it. Money gives me the peace that passes understanding. Money is an ever-present help in time of need. My money shall supply all my needs. A day in the mall is better than thousands elsewhere. See, behind mammon is this great lie. It says, yeah, God takes care of those super, those super saints, those great pastors and missionaries that we hear about, but you're not one of those, and so you need to spend a lot of time worrying about yourself. So behind mammon is it's kind of a two-sided coin. It's both rooted in fear. The first one is there's not going to be enough for you. The second one is greed. There's not enough for you. And it both feeds that same lies that God is absent. You're going to have to take care of yourself in this one. Yeah, a lot of spiritual stuff, that's great for those people, but we live in the real world here we got to get down to it, and you got to take care of yourself. That's, that's the spirit of mammon. Spirit of mammon gets a hold of our giving. Yeah, I'll give, but you have to give me an assurance that I'm going to get at least a tenfold return back on my money because I can't afford to let this stuff go. New covenant giving is motivated out of a heart of love. 
And if it's not motivated out of heart of love, here's what 1 Corinthians 13.3 says, it profits you nothing. Many Christians are, uh, have a, a, a law around their neck of tithing, thinking that if they don't tithe, that God's going to send Guido to break their kneecaps. <laughs> He's going to send the devourer to eat their crops. And like it's some kind of hush money. Listen, he's God the Father, not the Godfather. <laughs> New covenant motivation for giving. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says, if you give away all your possessions, I'm talking 10%, talking 100%, and uh, surrender your body to be burned by the flames, but you have not love, it profits you nothing. That's a whole other subject. Okay. What's it look like to serve or worship mammon? Verse uh, 625, Matthew 6.25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Remember, he said you cannot serve God and mammon. So what's it look like? The next verse tells us. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. You guys ready for this? Anxiety and worry are to the spirit of mammon what praise and worship are to the one true God. The way that you worship mammon is by having fear and anxiety over finances. Fear is faith in the devil. Yeah. Worry is a form of atheism because you're imagining your future without God. Faith is imagining your future with God. Yeah. I've got some super good news for you. God's already in your future. Yeah. He'll be there when you get there, yeah. so you don't need to worry. Yeah. That's good news to somebody. Huh? Yeah. I'm going to say this. I get in trouble every time I say it. I probably shouldn't say it. Worry is a sin to be repented of, not an emotion to be medicated. Listen, I get in trouble every time I say it. Listen, I'm not saying some people don't have some stuff that maybe some medication can help with in the short term and all that stuff. But at its underlying root, you have an ability to not worry. I love how Philippians 4 puts it. It says, don't worry, pray. So when you feel that stirring in your stomach and the acid begin to churn, just turn that into a prayer and say, God, I need you. We're going to get that heavenly perspective. He wants to help you. And I, listen, I'm not trying to minimize what some people have been through, but you need to recognize you're not a powerless victim. You're a powerful son and daughter with full accesses to the throne. Okay? So, listen, God's supernatural can't flow into fear and worry. Okay, this is why so many Christians are blessed, is they're literally putting up an umbrella. God's trying to rain blessings on you because of what Jesus has done, not because of our financial wizardry. But the, um, because of what Jesus has done, he's wanting to bless your life. But that fear and worry is like, God's like, I can't, I can't bless that. Because if I begin to bless them in their state of unbelief, I'll only be driving them farther away. Yeah. Here's the truth. You don't need more money. You need a greater relationship with the source. Remember the Old Testament? Uh, how many of you guys realize the Old Testament prophets had it rough? I mean, like, uh, what was the prophet? Isaiah. He walked around naked for three years. I'm like, I don't even take my shirt off at the pool anymore. Last time I did, uh, there were some threats for some lawsuits for some, uh, because the glare spots off my body because I was so white caused some retinal damage or something. I don't even know what happened. So. I'm like, listen, you don't get a body like this overnight. It takes years of neglect, Okay. Hosea had to marry a prophet or had to marry a prostitute named Gomer. Remember this? I'm like, dude, her name was Gomer. You should have known things were about to go horribly wrong. Like, uh, my apologies to any Gomers in here. Um, Ezekiel had to cook his food over his own dung. Like, that's hilarious when you're in junior high, but when you're an adult, that's just disgusting. All right. And so um, you can see why the church has been a nonprofit organization for so long. No, don't. That's bad. That's bad. That's not. 
So God's like, Elijah, I want you to prophesy a famine. He's like, I'm an Old Testament prophet. I love prophesying famines in the land that you're living in. He's like, oh, man, can we do the Jebusites, the termites, the cellulites, the parasites? Can we do those people? He's like, no, Elijah, in the land that you're living in. So uh, he's like, don't worry, I got a sweet deal for you. I want you to go to the brook Cherith. Here's the deal, guys. Don't confuse the source with the resource. The resource will change many times in your life. The source will never change. So God says, I got a resource of provision for you. He's like, no, it's going to be awesome. I got, the, I got some water there from the brook. Amazon now is going to be, bringing, the ravens are going to be bringing you in special meals every time. And he's like, everything's going good until the brook dries up. What do most Christians do when the brook dries up? They start freaking out. God has abandoned me. You know, oh, this giving doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. Anytime you're going through a trial, God's trying to add something to your life, not take something away from your life. James chapter 1, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Why on earth would you rejoice when you have a difficult time? Like you're going to call your friend and they're like, you're like, dude, I'm going through a major trial. Happy birthday to you. I am so jealous, they're going to say in return. No. But listen, if we had heaven's perspective, why? Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Ready for this? Lacking in nothing. What's the purpose of God allowing a difficulty in your life? He's already given you the, provi- he's already given you the provision for anything that comes into your life. Okay? He's doing it. Many people are like, God, I want an upgrade. And they got this trial sitting here. It's literally the stepping stone into their next season, but they've been cursing it. They've been, oh, I want this. I want to get out of it. All right. It's not even my sermon here. Don't confuse the source with the resource. When the difficult time comes, when your brook dries up, God's trying to add something to your life, not take something away from you. God never punishes. He punished his son in your place. You will never be punished. You are unpunishable. You're reading Culture of Honor? Unpunishable. Read the chapter. It's, uh, it's crazy. Every time the channel of provision changed, here's the very, so every time the, uh, like the brook dried up, every time the channel of provision changed, here's the very next verse uh, for Elijah. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Listen, when your brook dries up, what do you need? You need to get the word of the Lord. So God's like, listen, I want you to go to the city of Zarephath. I want you to find a widow. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you say window? Is it like a window of blessing? No, Elijah, she's a widow. Is widow like the last name of like a Boaz type person? No, Elijah, she's a widow. Here's what you need to understand. Widows in the ancient Near East, where there wasn't like a whole bunch of uh, females on, uh, female entrepreneurs on Shark Tank back then, okay? Like they, uh, there wasn't like a big women's movement going on there. It was, their resource, their provision was her husband. And that had dried up. And so he spoke going, and he's going for this, and looking for a resource of provision from a widow. So it doesn't make any sense. He goes there. and says he sees a widow there, and she's trying to find enough sticks to start a fire. That ain't a good sign in your resource of provision. So he says to the lady, hey, um, can you uh, make me something to eat? And she says, look, here's what's going on. And uh, my son and I, we've got a little bit of flour. We've got a little bit of oil. We're going to make one last cake that we might eat of it and then die. I mean, you know, that's not the mighty faith declaration you're looking for in your new resource of provision. So I'm expecting Elijah to take up uh, an offering, right? Aren't you guys? Find some people of means in the city. And uh, what does he say to her? Bake me a cake as fast as as you can, right? He says, bake me a cake that I might, and bring it to me that I may eat of it. I mean, can you just see the local newspaper? Prophet of God takes last meal from widow. Like we read these stories, but they had it rough back then, all right? Listen, guys, what is going on in this story? God is not after her money. God is not after your money. Here's the deal. Elijah knew that if he could get her eyes off of the resource 
and not into the source, then supernatural provision could flow into her life. What happens when you give in an offering? Okay, there's a lot of things that happen. But one of the things that happen is you're getting your eyes off of the resource and not into the source, and you're saying, God, I love you. I'm recognizing you are the source from whom all this comes, and I'm sowing back in your kingdom. Add faith to your money. Don't just give out of repetition. That's a whole other teaching. Here's the lesson that God wants you to get. You ready for this phrase? Nobody can take better care of me than dad. That's the lesson. That is the foundation for supernatural finances, is nobody can take better care of me than dad. Here's, a, here's the challenge with that. Is in order for you to learn that lesson, you may have to go through a, a difficult time. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that he loves you. He just wants you. I don't know if you guys ever saw that theological movie, Captain America. Did anyone see this? <laughs> oh, you guys are way too spiritual. Oh, my word. <laughs> I know more of you saw it. Captain America is a, is a comic book hero from Marvel, and his shield is made out of vibranium. Come, what, what, what's going on here? <laughs> vibranium is an artificial... Um, I'm in Amish country, I see. All right. So vibranium is this artificial substance, but it, uh, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the second hardest substance in the Marvel Universe behind adamantium. Thank you. Thank you. Adamantium. And so, um, but vibranium can absorb energy. So any amount of energy that comes to it. So there's a scene in Captain America where um, this girl that he likes, she kind of gets ticked off at him, and he's holding the shield, and she takes a gun, and she fires it at him. And uh, the bullets just drop to the ground. He didn't realize this thing was that powerful. Right? And so in the next scene, like he's chasing the Nazis and he's going crazy and he like becomes Captain America because he realizes the strength of his shield. God wants you to recognize the strength of him. So sometimes you're going to be in situations where you need him. But he's not doing it so that the bullets come and hit you and kill you. He's doing it so you see, my God is bigger than the situation. A lot of Christians are deliverance crazy. God, get me out of this. I was going to say the Star Trek prayer, but if you don't know Captain America, you don't know what Star Trek is. Beam me up, Scotty. A lot of Christians are like, God, get me out of this situation. I want out of this horrible situation. Here's the thing. If God got you out of every difficult situation, you're still going to be afraid of that situation next time you face it. Yeah. Sometimes he's like the, uh, like the three Hebrew children. He wants to deliver you in the fire rather than from the fire. Yeah. So they couldn't threaten them with death anymore. They already overcame that. Yeah. How are we doing? Good. I'm coming in for a landing here in just a bit. We're gonna go, we got, I got two activations planned here. Here's what happens. Sometimes the spirit of mammon will attach itself to biblical truth and it begins to twist it. Okay? So if you've been around a church or a conference or anything, you probably have heard an offering that went something like this. Who in here needs more finances? Yeah, preacher, we need more finances. They're going to teach how poverty and lack are not God's will. Absolutely true. Begin teaching that if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. 100% true. Context of it, 2 Corinthians 9, talking about finances. It says you can have a 30, 60, yay, even a 100-fold return in your finances, right? What happens? Why, is, why, why aren't more Christians aren't experiencing a return in their finances? Because the spirit of mammon comes and twists it, so it, it actually inverts our relationship with God, where I'm the master and I'm using God to go get me more money. If I were to do a conference called Supernatural Finances, many believers would show up thinking, how can I get God to give me more money? You got the whole thing backwards. He's God. We're his servants. And we got to get this biblical perspective. We're taking our dollars and turning them into soldiers to accomplish kingdom purposes. Part of that is to provide for our needs. Part of that is it's okay to enjoy the goodness of God with God. We're just not chasing after those things with all of our heart. And part of it is to make a difference. And part of that is making a difference in your family. That counts. How are we doing? 
All right. If you got a need, sow a seed. Just because it rhymes doesn't mean that it supersedes Scripture. Jesus actually taught against sowing and reaping to get your needs met. Look at the next verse, Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? Provision comes for you from God because he loves you more than birds. You've never seen an anorexic bird. You've never seen a bird starving to death, and you never will. Why? Because he loves you more than birds. Is Santa here? Are we, are we, are we all getting presents? This is so exciting. Look at the birds there. The Bible teaches sowing and reaping. But think of how bad of a parent I would be if my kid said, Dad, I gave away 10% of my sandwich at lunch. Can I have dinner? If you think you have to do something, God, listen, guys, God's hand is open because of what Jesus has done. You're not under the old covenant where it's, if you do this, then I will do this. Yeah. It's no. Jesus did all of this, and if you will believe it, you will receive it. If you'll doubt, you'll do without. Yeah. I don't know what I said. If you believe it, you'll receive it. If you doubt, you'll do without. That's right, yeah. You do not want me to rap. I can barely clap, let alone have something on rhythm. My staff referred to my dancing as a baby giraffe taking its first steps while dry heaving. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. But I'm offended just in case I do know what it means. When you have this understanding that nobody can take better care of me than Dad, you could literally walk into your place of work tomorrow. Your boss hands you a pink slip. And your blood pressure doesn't even increase because you know that nobody can take better care of you than dad. This world is a perfectly safe place for you to be. So the next time you're in fear, open the door, and if you see a bird, you're going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah, it's a dangerous statement in Ohio here, yeah. So sometimes we'll do healing services, and we'll have, uh, or maybe I'll do one at a church or something, and there'll be a line of people up front, and sometimes no one wants to pray for the sick, so it's like the minister, like the only guy in you know, the whole room who can pray. I mean, you guys are empowering people, so I love that. But I've been in those rooms where it's like, oh, man, this is going to be a long night, you know. I'm just being honest with you. And so, I mean, you love it, but it's tiring. And so I've never had this thought, you know, I get on like person number five out of 50. I've never thought, oh, man, what if I run out of healing anointing? Why? Because I'm super aware that I'm not the source of healing anointing, right? But I'll be honest, there's times when I give a check and I think, oh no, what if I run out? What do I need to do? I need to renew my mind. I'm not talking about giving away money foolishly, okay? If you give away all your money and it wasn't the Lord, you're a bad steward and you will not be rewarded. Anytime there's a preacher that's hinting that you should sell everything and give it to him, run, that's called a cult. Jesus said, sell everything and give it to the poor, not give it to me. Okay, so that, 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 yeah, that one was free. Well, I don't even know. I'm, I don't know. What am I even talking about here? Healing anointing, running out. I need to renew my mind to the fact that um, there's a Father in heaven who has limitless supply. He's not limited by my job, my current opportunities. I, I'm, I'm not giving you an excuse to be foolish, but if your heart is in the right way, he's got you covered. One of his names is Redeemer, Right? Redeemer means it doesn't matter why you are currently in a financial pit. He gets into that pit with you and walks you out in his strength, not your own strength. Is that good news to anybody? I got a friend who um, 
God has instructed him to give away all of his money three different times. And, uh, and so I, I was talking to him, and, uh, and he's like, I said, Roger, what's the, I should have said, I said, bro, what's the, I don't want to say his name a lot. I said, um, hey, man, how are your finances? How are you doing? He's like, Jim, he's like, I've got over a million dollars in the bank. I was like, man, I love that statement. And he said, and this next one really got me. He said, and I can't wait for God to ask me to give it away again. I'll have more stories. What did he understand? God's the owner. He's the money manager. Wouldn't you like to be that free? That's what I'm talking about. Nobody can take better care of me than dead. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't believe that God will ask most people in this room to give away everything. He asked one person in the New Testament to do it. But it was a requirement for discipleship. Leave all, sell all, give all. In other words, God, I am, I'm, everything is yours. I mean, we love son and daughter. We love sonship. We love all stuff. It's all true. But it's all built on the foundation of Jesus is Lord, which means I live to do his will. It's like father, son, bride, bridegroom, master, slave. It all, it all comes on that foundation of Jesus at all. And so I just want you to recognize God may not ask you to do that. But our heart position, you may not know this, but when you came into the kingdom, you're simply recognizing that it all belongs to him. For you to believe that you own anything is actually a deception. The air that you're breathing, good luck without that. It's his air. You know, okay, so, so let's let the, I want you to just get that, that you can be so free that if God did ask you to give it away, it's only because he has an upgrade for you. And don't start getting fearful that he's going to ask you to do that. And I'm, and I'm not going to ask you to do that, for sure. But I want you to just, Holy Spirit, just, uh, just pull on our hearts to just see we want to be that free. Let these words wash over you from Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 in the Amplified. Be free from the love of money. Now, how on earth could you do that? You ready for this? For God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. The Greek is so strong, it says it three times. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. So here's what I want to do. Did everyone get an index card? So one of the ways that we partner with Mammon. Okay, did anyone not get an index card? Yeah, okay, let's just get one right here. If you just keep your hand up for a second, let's do this. We actually are going to take up an offering, but it's an offering of your worries. So we're going to give our worries to the Lord. I usually let the offense set in a little bit more. After you teach on finances, you say we're going to take up an offering. Oh, man, you could just about see horns manifest in people. It's so... I love it. So... I'll let you guys off easy on that one. But anyway, so we are going to take up an offering for your words. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just take a moment and just, uh, just between you and the Lord and just say, God, what am I worrying about that you don't want me to worry about? And I want you to write it down. No one's going to read it. It's just between you and the Lord. Okay, so Holy Spirit, what am I worrying about that you, that you don't want me to worry about? We're going to give that to him in just a second. And we're going to break that spirit of mammon off of people. Here's what we're going to do in a moment. We're going to, um, we're going to, we're going to kind of live out that verse, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Here's what I want you to do between you and the Lord. I want you to just renounce. If, if some of those things were financial, you can, you can turn over the other ones too. But if some were financial, you say, Lord, I, I renounce my agreement with that spirit of mammon. And I can see, Lord, where I've been looking to money and getting some security and 
putting some fear around that, and I'm recognizing just whatever it is between you and the Lord, but say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm repenting from that. I'm turning from that. I want, you're going to declare nobody takes better care of me than dad. So just between you and him, we're going to just, just pray that, and then we're actually going to take it, and we're going to, we're going to sever it. We're going to tear it in, in an offering here in just a second. So between you and the Lord. Let's pray this prayer. God, I'm done with the spirit of mammon. I renounce my agreement with mammon. Forgive me for having fear over money. But I recognize nobody can take better care of me than dad. I receive your peace. I know you've got nothing but good things for me. I break this thing off me. In Jesus' name. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that card, and on the count of three, we're going to tear it, and we're just going to let that tear just be a sweet sound to the Lord. All right? And just don't just do it as an exercise, but just add your faith to it. God, I'm done with this thing. You, uh, nobody can take better care of me than Dad. So um, how about, yeah, one, two, three, we'll rip it. Nobody can take care of better care of me than Dad. All right? Ready? One, two, three. Nobody, nobody can take this guy's got it right here. Awesome. Doesn't that feel good? Yeah. All right, stand up. And take out your wallets. I'm kidding. That's just a, that's a terrible joke. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to uh, read you John's vision from the book of Revelation. Then I'm going to uh, read some things over you, okay? Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing, crops, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, the river of God is a picture of abundant life, supernatural provision, and prosperity. Everything good you will ever need or desire can be found in it. It runs through the middle of the street, giving everyone full access to it. All you need to do is learn how to get in its flow. Now, imagine that you're standing in the river, facing downstream, away from the throne. Behind you, God is placing good things into the river for you. Yet because of your position, you remain a spectator, watching good things float past you just out of reach. Try to envision what some of those good things might be. Can you do something for me? Can you actually turn and face the back wall as if you are facing downstream from the river? Now speak this prayer out loud. Father God, I'm standing in the crystal river of heaven that flows from your throne. You fill this river with good things. But because I'm facing downstream, good things flow away from me. They are just beyond my reach. Too hard to catch. Lord Jesus, I want to turn. I want to see your throne. I want to see your provision. 
I turn around in Jesus' name. I turn around. Now say this. Thank you, God, that I'm facing upstream. I can envision the throne of God and the Lamb. Good things are coming to me. The good things are everywhere. There's more than I can contain. There's abundance here for everyone. In Jesus' name. I want you to imagine what it looks like and smells like and sounds like and feels like to stand in the flow of this river's immeasurable abundance. There is no limitation and no lack. God places good things in this river for you and everyone connected to you. These good things flow towards you and they're easy to catch. The new position you're in creates a new paradigm of expectations. Facing the source of abundance drives away the fear, insecurity, and powerlessness you previously felt as you watch good things pass you by. From this new view, you expect good things. You expect that every need will be met at the right time. You expect that nothing will be impossible. You know that everything in your Father's kingdom is yours. Now say these declarations out loud. In every area of my life, I live in abundance. I am blessed, and I am a blessing. Blessings come upon me and overtake me. It's actually a verse right out of Deuteronomy 28. I'm not sure if you've ever been driving in your little car. A big semi-truck comes, and it kind of has that feeling of, what's that? That's being overtaken. I'll say it again. Blessings come upon me and overtake me. Jesus is the source of my financial breakthrough. No weapon formed against me or my finances will be able to prosper. I'm blessed coming in and blessed going out. The blessing of the Lord makes me rich and adds no sorrow to it. Nobody can take better care of me than Dad.